Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Thank you, Zane. Now, Zane said all those incredibly kind things about me, but he might take them back after I say what I'm about to say. I don't mean to start any drama within the church or to stir up any controversy, but Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has the best chicken sandwiches out of any chicken place that I can think of. Thank you. Thank you, person. Don't know who that was. Like, you can think of Cane's or Zaxby's or Chicken Express, etc., etc., etc. They're all great. They're good. And you might prefer those ones. And you are entitled to your own, own opinion. But I will tell you that it is also okay to be wrong. My go-to order at Chick-fil-A is a spicy chicken sandwich without pickles. There we go. I can't stand pickles. I think of pickles as cucumbers soaked in evil. In fact, during first service, there was a guy who came up to me and said, the chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A is a perfect sandwich, but the pickles are there to remind us that there's still a little bit of sin in the world. (laughs) So some of you guys might feel a certain way about that, but just, just wait until I tell you that I don't like chocolate either. Yeah, I know, right? You guys are regretting having me now. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> but the thing I like most about Chick-fil-A is their logo. As you can see in their logo, there's something hidden in there, and that's at the, the C has a chicken. And brands do this all the time where they hide little things in their logos, and Chick-fil-A is a very easy example. But what about this one? What do you see there? The arrow. All right. What about this one? Chips and dip. And this one? The smile and from A to Z. Yep. That one was a, that one broke Zane's brain. And one, what about this one? The bicycle. Exactly. So we have all of these brands that try to hide things within them. Like we've seen these things over and over again, time and time again, and yet we have never seen these things. They're hidden. And the same thing is done with Scripture. When uh, we all have heard these stories of David and Goliath and Noah and the Flood, and even those of us who haven't heard them, we still recognize them because of how common they are. And these stories have different things hidden within them too. When I was looking at Luke, it's the third book in the New Testament, um, about halfway through the Bible. When I was looking at Luke chapter 10, I stood there and I turned my head and I squinted a little bit, trying to see in a different way. And the Holy Spirit revealed something to me. Just like how these logos have something different hidden within them, the Holy Spirit revealed to me something hidden within the text. And in Luke chapter 10, we find the story of the Good Samaritan. The story starts out with a lawyer who wants to test Jesus. And he's asking Jesus all of these questions over and over and over again, and Jesus is acing them, getting them all right. And so he asks Jesus... What is the greatest commandment? And then Jesus responds, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. And then thinking that he's going to stump Jesus with his next question, he asks, so then who's my neighbor? And Jesus, being the smart man that he is and doing this all the time, all throughout scripture, he responds with a parable or a 
hypothetical story that gives some sort of moral insight. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The story goes like this. There was a man on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus, a notoriously dangerous road. And as he's on this road, he gets mugged. Two guys jump out and take everything he has, even the clothes off of his back. He's left there, beaten and broken. He's left for dead. And as he's laying there, there's a priest. A priest comes by and sees the beaten and broken man and ignores him. He crosses on the other side. And then after that, a Levite comes up, another holy person, somebody we would expect to help the man. But instead, he too crosses on the other side. And it wasn't until there was a Samaritan. And for context, Samaritans are considered low-down and dirty people. They're the kind of person that when you were walking down the street, you'd be like, nope, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. There is an African thinker named Paul Isaac, and from him we, have, we can shed a little bit more light on why this was so bad. Especially in Jesus' time, this was bad because, as um, Isaac puts it, the Samaritans defiled the temple, which was a heinous act. They took dead men's bones and strewed it all over the area, defiling the temple. And that made the hostilities between the Jews and the Samaritans so much worse where they were irreconcilable. But I want you to think about something. With the Samaritan's reputation, Jesus never once says that the Samaritan, this Samaritan, is one of the good ones, like we often do. The Jews he was talking to would automatically assume that the Samaritan was up to no good. But Jesus surprises them with what he says. Jesus makes a Samaritan the superman of the story, jumping in to save the beaten man on the side of the road. The Jews would have been floored by this. Because the person who they expected to be the bad guy was actually the one who came to the man's aid. The story goes, the Samaritan stops and bandages the man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then picks up the man and puts him on his own donkey. They go to a nearby inn where the Samaritan drops the man off, goes to the innkeeper and says, here's some money, and if he costs you anything else, when I return, I will pay that too. Then after telling this story, Jesus asked the lawyer, who was the man's neighbor? The lawyer tells Jesus, no doubt in some semblance of shock, he says that the Samaritan was the man's neighbor. Yep. <laughs> Jesus is telling you that, hey, maybe you should learn something from, maybe you could learn something from the people that you don't like. And trust me, I don't like that as much as you do. But let's pause for a second and put this into perspective. Imagine you're heading from here in Round Rock to Dallas, and on your way there, you blow a tire. No cell service, no AAA, nothing. No spare tire. You're stranded. You are in dire need of help. And then you see a white Tacoma pulling up. And who's in that white Tacoma? Zane Witcher, <laughs> our incredible preaching minister. But this is not one of his best moments. He drives up next to you, looks at your situation, and then drives off. You're in a little bit of shock, like, man, really thought he would have helped me. And then as you're sitting there just waiting for somebody to come to your aid, another car that you recognize drives up. Oh my gosh, thank goodness, it's my friend from high school, or it's that teacher you loved, or whatever it may be. But they too pass you by. 
It's not until a mysterious car rolls up when you finally receive help. You see this person, this car, and you're judging them based off of the car they drive or how they look or what they're wearing, and you expect them to do something horrible to you. You expect them to um, stare at you as they drive by or to stick out their tongue at you as they drive by, but that's if you're lucky. But they stop. They stop and get out of their car. When they get out of the car, they walk up to you and say, wow, this is quite the situation. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Well, you know what? Why don't you take my car? You can take my car to wherever it is you need to go. In fact, I also have a reservation for a hotel nearby. You can use that if you need to. There's also a couple hundred dollars in the glove box. Take it. I will take care of your car. I'll take it to a nearby dealership. I'll get it towed, and I'll pay for the tires. You don't have to worry about a thing. And your jaw drops. There's no way that this person would do this without wanting something in return, right? But in the coming months after this occurs, you get your car back. They don't mention it. More months go by, years go by, and it's never brought up again. They didn't help you because they wanted something in return. They did it for something or someone greater. The big similarity between the modern-day Samaritan who helped you and the Samaritan from the story is the fact that both did their service in the shadows with humility. Their acts were hidden. Now, let me clarify. How did this hypothetical person serve us from the shadows? Well, in many cases, it is absolutely inevitable to be seen when you're serving. That's just the nature of service. But they did it in a hidden manner. They did it to where they weren't the person being seen. Instead, it was Jesus being seen. They served, and in doing so, they elevated Jesus. The Samaritan in the parable knew that the odds of seeing the man again were slim to none. And even if he did see the man there would be no way the man would, un- would recognize him simply because he, was, he had been beaten and was unconscious during the entire experience. The man knew that he would never get anything back from this man, and he didn't care. The stranger who helped you while you were on the side of the road, they didn't ask for anything in return. They even gave in surplus of what you needed. We can see that both of these figures didn't serve with any intention of getting any recognition. They did it with humility. Now, neither of these figures did it for Jesus, but Jesus was still revealed. Oftentimes, God shows up in people that aren't even allied with him. The Samaritan who was unexpectedly uh, helping this person isn't someone allied with God, but still does the work of God and blesses somebody, just like we are called to do. There's a quote by Martin Luther King where he says, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Where can you be the Samaritan or the stranger. But with every story of what could be done, there's also a story of what should not be done. 
It was my sophomore year in high school during the district track meet, and hold on a second. Have you guys noticed that every time I tell a story, it's something from high school or college? It's almost like I only have 24 years of life experience. But anyways, I was getting ready to run the 300-meter hurdles. I was practicing going over the hurdles, and then I hear a scream. And I turn around and see one of my uh, teammates clutching her hamstring, no doubt having pulled it or something of the sort. And in my head, I go, Aaron, don't be the hero. Don't be the hero. No, mm, you're doing it. Mm, yep. It was like autopilot. I ran over to her. I asked her, do you need to go to the trainers? And she said yes. And so I, I picked her up and I started carrying her. But it's very important to know that in the infinite wisdom of the event coordinators, they put the athletic training area all the way across the field from the warm-up area. It is also very important to note that during a district level or higher track meet, no one is allowed on the football field. So here I am in front of a couple hundred people crossing the football field, carrying this girl, and all I'm praying is, God, please don't let this be a big deal. And as if on cue, from the booth, I hear, Mr. Starter, please stop the races. We have a strapping young man carrying an injured teammate across the field. See, that's something I can't even make up. I promise you that actually happened. Wild, right? And so my prayer went from, God, don't let this be a big deal, to God, please don't let me trip. <laughs> and I think all that is good and holy, I kept my balance the entire way through and got her there safely. But why did I do it? Did I do it out of the goodness of my heart? Did I do it for a specific reason? Of course I did. I'm going to tell you right now, I had a huge crush on this girl. <laughs> and I wanted her to see me. And for those of you wondering, she did. For all of about a week until she started dating somebody else on the track team. And I will say, I can't blame her. He was quite a stud. Um, good guy. Very fast. Faster than me. Tears. But as Jesus would say, I got my reward. I did this with selfish intentions. I didn't do it with humility. I wanted to be seen so badly. And I got my reward. It was short-lived, but I still got it. It was as if I handed her a contract saying, I will do this for you so long as you see me. I wasn't serving with humility. I wasn't elevating Jesus or the girl above myself. I wanted me to be the star of the show. But the one thing I did do is I saw a need and I met it. Didn't do it for the right reasons, but still the need was met. And it all starts with seeing a need and stepping in to meet it. However, the issue that I had that the Samaritan didn't was the posture of our hearts. The Samaritan ushered in a space for Jesus because he didn't elevate himself um, over his service. He stayed hidden, both metaphorically and literally. His heart wasn't focused on the potential disdain that he had for this person. He wasn't focused on what could have possibly gone wrong. He wasn't focused on the money that he would have lost. He wasn't focused on the time that he would have spent. He saw a need, and he met it. And he did so expecting nothing in return. Within our service, 
the posture of our heart is on our own concerns, then we cause both the people we are helping and ourselves to miss out on who God is. If the posture of our heart is on our own concerns, we cause both the people we are helping and ourselves to miss out on who God is. We are called to serve, that much is very evident. However, the way we serve is what is important. Is our service self-elevating or is it Christ-glorifying? Are we consumed with what we could get in return or are we pushing away our own preferences to step into a place of humility? In our sin, God saw that we had a need. We needed to be rescued from our sin, so God sent his son down to become flesh and live out a life on this earth, then give the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could be freed from sin and condemnation. And Jesus did it all with humility. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus attempt to hide his identity after healing somebody. In Mark 1, 40-45, Jesus heals a man of leprosy and instructs the man to keep his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God, hidden. If people knew who he was, then Jesus wouldn't have been able to serve the people in the way he needed to. He came to serve, not to be served. The crucifixion is a perfect example of that. The crucifixion was the ultimate act of service and humility and sacrifice in which we base our service on. Could you imagine if Jesus had said no because the price was too big? Or if he had said no simply because we weren't giving anything in return? We would be so helplessly lost. We were entrapped by the Old Testament law, condemned by our sin, but he didn't expect anything in return. He freely gave his life for us because we were in need. This is the model in which our service is based on. And when we serve in this way, God is glorified. People get to experience Jesus because we step aside and let God take center stage. And I'll close with this. History has revealed to us several people who have served in the shadows. Specifically, I want to point out Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German minister who stood against the rise of Hitler in the Third Reich. Even though Bonhoeffer was a pacifist, he still stood against uh, Nazism and Hitler. He conspired against Hitler, and he even stepped in to rescue Jews from occupied territory. He enlisted he enlisted in the Abwehr, the German military intelligence agency during both World War I and World War II. However, he acted as a double agent rather than fulfilling the duties that the German military needed him for. Around 1942, Bonhoeffer was involved in a plan to rescue what was originally seven Jews, but turned 14. About a year later, in 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Gestapo for his involvement in this plan. The charges were originally accusing all involved with lining their own pockets. However, the investigators soon realized that this was a rescue attempt. And because of this, Bonhoeffer was sent to Buchenwald, where, um, or then to another camp in Flossenburg, where he was hanged. 
The doctor of the Schustafel in the area watched Bonhoeffer walk to the gallows, praying to God and honoring God the entire time. The doctor said this after the execution was carried out. I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Bonhoeffer served, expecting nothing in return. And for doing so, he lost absolutely everything. But God was still glorified through it all. Service comes at a cost to us. Sometimes it's a small cost, like picking up a friend from an airport. Sometimes it's a little bit bigger, like taking a risk on an intern. And sometimes it costs us everything, like what happened with Jesus and Bonhoeffer. But at the cost of money, time, and notoriety to us, God is glorified. Is our service freely given like the Samaritan, or is it conditional? We want to get something in return, or are we truly okay with sacrificing in order for someone else to prosper? We are called to serve with humility, oftentimes in the shadows, so that Jesus, the one who served us and paid the ultimate price, can take center stage and sit in the limelight. We work in the dark to serve the light. Church, I want to say a special thank you to each and every one of you for welcoming me and allowing me to have a place here, to taking a risk on me and allowing me to have a place where I can grow. It has been a blessing to see each and every one of your smiling faces throughout this summer. And to Zane, I want to say thank you because, like I said, you took a risk on me. And I'm so thankful for that. He has been an absolute blessing. You guys have an amazing preaching minister. One of the things that I admire about Zane is his attentiveness to the staff. I watched him be so attentive to the needs of each and every staff member. And even when I came on staff, he didn't start ignoring them. In fact, he added onto his own plate and started being attentive to me too. That is something that so many people miss out on. And Zane is doing it for everybody. Now, I'm going to pray a blessing over all of you. And as I finish, one of our elders is coming up. will be coming up to close us out. Please bow with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church.